It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome and thank you. It's Tuesday. We're always here live at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time doing our show live here. I have two great guests. I meet a lot of my guests from going to different conferences, being involved in different events. This show is really designed to allow me to interview them and to pick their brains and get their secrets, but more importantly, allow you to listen in on that too, right? So you can get their secrets and you can get more from them and understand what cool things they're doing that you might be able to take back into your own life. You know, we love to to take their stories and to talk about them. In fact, one of my best stories I put into my book, the bestseller, The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check that out on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Some of our best stories and story of the narrative of my company and the changes that we went through are really kind of uh, documented there. As I said, we're live here every Tuesday, but most of you access us Later on, you know, some of you show up here, probably our moms and uh, spouses, a few employees and uh, some random avid fans. But most turn in after the show has been recorded live on iTunes, on iHeartRadio. There's over 10,000 of you a day downloading at least one of our shows. And super big thank you to everyone who's being a part of that and subscribing to the show and being a part of the conversation. And speaking of being a part of that conversation, we love to have you also be a part of the live conversation or even after the fact. That's okay too. You can find us on Twitter, at PeopleG2. My producer, Mike, diligently live tweets all the best comments, all the best little tidbits, and you can go in there, retweet them, comment on them, give us your two cents. Also, make any other suggestions you like there. We are listening, and our guests are also contributing there as well. So uh, look for us there. So speaking of my guests, I'm really excited to have these two guys on today. My first guest will be Ralph Weichel. He's the president of the Corporation of Positive Change. And then we'll bring in Bob Larkin, the leadership development instructor and executive coach at Academy Leadership. But we'll bring him in in the second half of the show after the commercial break. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest, my buddy, the man of the hour, Ralph Weichel. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. And glad to be here. And I'm joining you from Amsterdam. So it's a nice little time difference. Yes. And so we we had met uh, virtually, but then our first uh, in-person meeting was actually in Amsterdam, one of my favorite cities. I know that's a place you spend a lot of time in. But before we get to that, maybe why don't you tell a little bit about yourself? You know, what's the cool things we should know about you in relation to our conversation today? And of course, maybe you can kind of dovetail that into what is the Corporation for Positive Change? Let me start with the Corporation for Positive Change was founded probably mid-90s. It was founded by Diana Whitney. It's really based on the uh, principles and the methodology of appreciative inquiry. And over the years, it has evolved and is, uh, uses a lot of the other strength-based methodologies. And its focus is really to be a catalyst for positive change in organizations. 
and also in the lives of, of individual. Um, as an organization, we are focused on culture change, developing teams, developing leaders, and it's all based on taking your strengths, leveraging your successes, and really doing it from a positive perspective in the sense that let's focus first on what is working before we do what everybody else does and find the gap and jump the gap and close the gap, which is just so draining. That's really my mission. This is what I love to do. been doing it for 20 years, and I can't imagine doing anything else. And you split time between Lexington and Amsterdam, is that correct? I have a family in Lexington in, in Kentucky area, three children, two grandchildren, soon a third grandchild. Then I also spend a fair amount of time in Amsterdam and really Europe. I've been here for three weeks now. It's Amsterdam, Barcelona, and this weekend I'll be in Germany. Well, fantastic. And I think you and I, maybe we were uh, in Barcelona like the same day, I think, which was kind of funny. I'm not there that often, but you, you're there all the time. So a little mini crossover, but... Maybe our flight paths crossed. Who knows? In the airport, anything's possible. As you reflect on your successful positive change engagements, what are some of the drivers of the success? You know, wh why is this message? Why is this movement? And why are you in particular successful in, in bringing this into organizations? Well, I think that's a great question, Chris. And I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, we're constantly hearing that change is the only constant. Change is inevitable. You have to change. Many of the change initiatives are forced upon us. And part of what makes the positive change process so successful, that it really includes all the people who are going to be involved, impacted, or have to do something that is related to the change. So it's not something done to them. It is done, done with them in a collaborative way, and it's co-created. And I think that makes a real difference. If I'm a part of something, then I have a sense of ownership, a sense of responsibility, and I want to see it succeed because I want to succeed have to do this and you have to do that and say, well, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. It wasn't my opinion worth anything. So I think that's why we're being so successful in our endeavors. And that's really important that you're talking about bringing people in. How do we have them be a part of that? The idea you first started with, which was, you know, looking at what, what's working first. And now that was one of my first kind of big epiphanies and looking at this positivity movement and the appreciative inquiry was to say what's working, right? And to look at exactly. what our strengths are. Well, what was I missing in this conversation? Where was I missing key data points in my understanding of culture and people and human nature? One of those things was this misconception that society tells us must always be working on getting better at the things that we're bad at. You don't enjoy accounting? You should go take an accounting course and get really good at it. And it's like, you know, no. <laughs> and so this sort of twist of the idea that maybe I should focus my time on doing what I'm really good at. And from a business perspective, do the things that I'm really good at that people are willing to pay me for, as opposed to spending my time trying to get really good at something that I'm just isn't of interest to me or I'm not good at. So am I kind of phrasing or paraphrasing in, in general sort of the work and things that you're, you're focusing on? Yes. And I think um, what I would add to that is, you know, so often we hear about the root causes of failure. And, you know, we really come at this from the perspective of the root causes of success. In every organization, something is working. The majority of things are working, yet we spend so much time focusing on the things that aren't working. And it just drains the energy. It, it doesn't get people excited and motivated. And I find it so interesting. You know, we're always hearing, oh, we have to be more creative. We have to be more innovative. We have to do all these things. That's great. What I call an unintended consequence versus a failure or mistake. When you get an unintended consequence, do you celebrate it? Do you get excited by it? Or do you take somebody's head off? Let's focus on what works. Let's leverage our strengths and then move forward from that. That is how you build a, a positive change initiative. And that's 
that's how you really get it to last. The other thing that we find is so many of the change initiatives, they're good for a year, maybe six months. As long as somebody is swinging a two by four, second that stops, there's no enthusiasm for it. So it stops. And then you're stuck doing with what? Same old thing. And comes the new one. What really what I, we find in our work is that people get energized by change when they're a part of the process. Right. And especially being asked to do things that are working, when they're being asked right. to do things that they're strong at, you know, really shine. Everybody wants to shine. Everybody wants to say, wow, look at me. I can do that. Everybody wants to be successful in their efforts. And you, you could put this in a team context or a sporting context, right? I mean, if you're really good at pitching, why would someone stick you out in, in left field, right? Why would someone put you at a different position? Or if you're a good catcher, why would they put you at first base? It's very simple things, but if you're good at something, let's go do it. Now, we always can't do things that we're best at all the time. We can't always right. be in that position. But I think it's trying to be there as much as we can, right? You're absolutely right. I mean, in certain jobs, they entail certain responsibilities. They may not always bring out your best. Yet the one thing that's been shown repeatedly is that, that the really high-performing teams put people in positions where they can be successful and are less focused on titles and classifications, and they let people do where their energy takes them so they can be successful, which then leads to a successful team. So leaders are, are frequently drivers of culture in, inside of an organization, really drivers of change, and those we, we turn to leaders to do that. But how can leaders be seen as the drivers of a positive organizational culture? Is there kind of a distinction there? Are there certain things that they do or certain activities or, or maybe even uh, behavioral um, changes they need to make? Where do you see those people being the most successful? I would focus on three areas from our experience. One is they're very good at articulating the vision, where we're headed. And it, it really gives the opportunity for everybody to see their part or see themselves in that. But it's not something that they're a stranger to. They see it. They see themselves in that. So that's one. the other thing that I think they do really well. They recognize and identify the new behaviors, and they're good at calling it out. And they're good at saying, this is what we want. So I think that's the other critical piece that they're able to articulate and then recognize it. They're, they're the spokesperson, really, for these changes because they continuously talk about them. They continuously accent them. I think the final thing that these leaders do, they recognize that they're not necessarily going to be on the ground doing the day-to-day. -day. At the same time, they have to make sure the message and the enthusiasm trickles down. So it's identifying those small actions. It's like the ripple effect. When you throw a pebble in the water and it ripples out, they're the stone in the water. Then they have to keep rippling it out. It's that encouragement. It's finding those little actions. And the other thing is the consistency. I think all change starts with small actions done consistently. It's what are you going to do tomorrow morning? What are you going to do the next morning and the next morning and the next morning? They emphasize those things, those little things that done repeatedly change the culture and make the initiative work. Think of a super tanker. One degree today, you won't even notice. One degree in 20 or 30 nautical miles will make a difference. It's that idea of making these small changes. We talk about an organization about being 1% better. How, you know, how do we get 1% better today? It's manageable. It's scalable. It's easy to digest. You can think about making little changes. But to your point, those small little changes add up. If you got 1% better every month at something inside your company, right, in a year, you're now 12% better than you were the year before. 
Yeah, we're not coming in and saying, hey, guys, figure out how to get 50% better in a month or you're all fired. How do we get a little bit better today? You and I both have had the experience where change is mandated. You have to do something inside of 30 days, and it just demotivates and de-energizes people. And if you look at our engagement numbers, engagement is stuck at in the low 30s. And we all know what's needed. It's not that complicated. And here you are. We've been stuck at this for the last three or four survey results. So it's it's the willingness to go do that little thing. Yet if I don't know where I'm going, Chris, as you know, if you don't have a picture of where you're going to be in 20 or 30 nautical miles, you won't know that that 1% will get you there. Where we're going, which is for me the transparency component, right? What's the goal? Where are we going? What, where are we headed? That's that's super important. So right. if the leaders do their job, they they've done what you've said. They've focused on those three things, and they are that that rock creating the ripple every day. You know, typically those positive those teams, especially in the, you know, the literature, the research that I've seen, say the positive teams are more frequently than others very high performing. So I'm curious to know what you think causes them to be the high performers. So we have the leaders that they're doing their thing, but are those members forming at such a high level because they're aligned more correctly and they're working on things they're good at? Is it because of the energy, you know, they're not being brought down by problems and constantly focusing on negative things? Or are there other variables or is it just a, you know, mess of of greatness going on? Well, I would say yes, 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 and depends. (laughs) <laughs> but I think, you know, okay. it's one of my classic high-tech answers, you know. It really depends on the team and what the organization hopes to achieve. If the leader is doing their piece. It also creates a sense of safety that the others downstream can start taking the actions they know are needed to get where we want to go. And so it gives them the energy to go do different things. The challenge is that trickle-down effect Well, you start encountering historical norms, company norms, those stories that you hear at the water cooler a hundred times over. You know, if I open my mouth, I could get fired, which is probably a legacy story, yet it makes the rounds. And so what these teams are able to do is demonstrate that that's really not what's going to happen. And so you want to start small. That's why you look for the volunteers. You look for the early adopters and give them as much support and energy so others can go, ooh, they're doing it. Maybe I could do this also. So again, it's it's this ripple effect. It's like starting a flywheel. It takes a lot of energy up front. Yet once you get going, it starts attracting. And other people want to be a part of that. And that's really important. Leaders need to know what to do, but they all seem to know what to expect. And I, you know, I think it's a pretty good value proposition that, hey, if you can do these things and you can bring this type of attitude into the organization. You can have a high-performing team, and you can have people that are kind of and bringing that value into into the company and getting better and better all the time. So a lot of leaders don't take this approach, and a lot of organizations are taking many other approaches that are not effective or not nearly as effective. And it's not because they don't want to take this approach; it's because they don't know about this approach. They only know the approach that they got from their parents or their first boss or what's happening inside their organization now. So how do we get that message out in a greater scale so that people are aware that this is an alternative, that this is a way they can choose to to deal with their teams and what they might expect? I think it's, uh, Chris, it's a combination of things. One, there's starting to be an awareness that what we've done in the past isn't working. As more younger companies, as for lack of a better word, start showing success, 
People are getting curious. What's allowing them to work? How come they can make this happen? Going to the smaller companies saying, you know, how are you doing this? You know, so often companies would rather buy the entrepreneurial spirit or buy the culture than try to create it themselves. So I think you're getting that larger scale effort and it's being noticed. I think the other thing is that it just as the leaders, I don't want to say mature, as new leaders come in, you know, I had a conversation the other day where I said, you know, no CEO is ever going to get fired for hiring a McKinsey or a PwC or a standard consulting firm. If they don't do what the Corporation Positive Change does, which is focus on the positive, they come in, they identify the gap and they close it. It's the safe play. We had a conversation the other day with a client. They said, then they looked at us and they said, we know your way is the best way. We know your way will engage our team and will make the change stick. We're just not sure we're ready for it. What do you say? Right. <laughs> Call me when you are. <laughs> uh, you know, we know what needs done, and we're just going to tell the people what to do. I said, okay, then you're right. We're not your team. You'll call us in a year because it, it won't stick. And they said, you know, you're probably right. And part of it is that leadership, that executive leadership team has to recognize that top down doesn't work. Maybe the short term, you know, you can check a box and say, look, we've implemented this. It's been the next 12, 15 months, 18 months selling it because nothing's changing. The only time top down works is when you're a modeling behavior that you want inside your company, right? So you want your leaders modeling certain behaviors and that that sort of trickles down, right? You see the leaders doing things the right way and acting the way you value things. That works. But mm -hmm. as far as solving problems, as far as getting things done, as far as having a high performing team, that's all bottom up, right? That's all empowering people to figure out how they want to work and figuring out what they do best and, and getting them sort of working autonomously and, and in their own way and, and figuring out how they can get to their to be their best, right? Exactly. What we do is we guide conversations. We help structure meetings. Our whole goal is to build the capacity within the organization because we got to be gone. It has to be owned by the organization. I consider myself a Sherpa, a positive change Sherpa. I can show you. <laughs> sure. I love it. One of the questions we love to ask our guests, and maybe you have a, a clever answer for us, is Is there a book you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out? Oh, man, there are so many books I've read. Well, I'll reframe it for you. If someone says, geez, this Ralph guy might be onto something, I'm kind of interested in this. Is there a book they should check out as it regards to type of topic? I would say this, there is not a book that has been written on positive change. What I would encourage them to do is look at the literature and things like Marty Seligman's book, Flourish, where he talks about a PERMA model, which is all based on positive psychology. You know, I would encourage them to read some of the work that the Appreciative Leadership from Diana Whitney, which talks about the leader who comes at things from a positive perspective. There's a lot of good articles. I've been reading a lot about psychological safety lately and how that fosters a positive change culture. And Amy Edmondson has done a lot of work on that. She just wrote a book called Fearless Organization. Those are the three that come to mind. Here at the end, and I really appreciate you uh, being on the show today and dialing in all the way in from Amsterdam. If people are interested, whether it's our listeners in the United States or maybe our listeners in, in Europe, wherever they may be, and they want to work with you, what is the best place for them to find out more about you and, and even to contact you if you're interested in, in getting help in their organizations? Well, so I would encourage them to go to the website, which is www.positivechange.org. They can call me at any time, 859-536-2488, or email me at info at ralphweichel.com. 
any one of those work, and I will usually respond within 24 hours. You're the kind of person I hope to grow up to be one day. So hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Would love to. And Chris, thank you very much for the invitation. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with our second guest, Bob Larkin. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you missed my last guest, Ralph Weichel, we had a little bit of a problem with the Skype connection, but hopefully he was able to come through. You can certainly hear his uh, interview. We'll have it up next week on iTunes. Always check us out on TalentTalkRadio.com. But uh, love for everyone to subscribe and to catch us there. But let's go ahead and bring in my next guest, uh, Bob Larkin, a leadership and development instructor and executive coach at Academy Leadership. Bob, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Well, why don't you dive in? Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know about you, and tell us, of course, more about your company, Academy Leadership. Okay. I am a graduate of the Naval Academy with a master's degree from your neck of the woods out at University of Southern California. I spent seven years in the Marine Corps as a fighter pilot and then 28 and a half years at Procter & Gamble. For the last 10 years, I've been teaching leadership and doing executive coaching affiliated with a company called Academy Leadership that you mentioned. This company was formed about 12 years ago, I believe, and the intent was to look at the learnings on leadership at West Point and Annapolis and then figure out how we could apply that in a civilian atmosphere. So that's what we're about, Chris. That's really fascinating, right? We could talk about what was it about those particular schools or institutions that were fascinating or were of interest when the company started? Well, one of them, I think, was it actually came from the Navy, the Department of the Navy in the late 80s. As you may know, Chris, and a lot of your listeners would know, the Navy inspects its ships every six months in a rather thorough way. And some really smart person in Washington sat back in the late 80s and said, why is it some ships do consistently well and others don't? What can we learn from that? One of the things that they picked up was the ships that did consistently well had what they call a command philosophy. And that is a written document from the commanding officer so that every sailor on that ship knew exactly what the commanding officer was all about, what their principles and values were, what their expectations were. So our group sat back and said, well, okay, that's something that we could use with leaders in civilian atmosphere. We labeled it a personal leadership philosophy or um, sometimes a leader's compass because it points at an individual's true north about what they're all about, what their values are, what expectations are of the expectations of themselves as well as the expectations of people around them. 
we found this to be very, very energizing. So when we do it in our course, for example, we'll go over it with each individual in the room every day until they leave at the end of the course with one that's pretty much completed. And so by understanding more about that leader, it's a, people are able to understand more about, you know, how they should make decisions, how they should interact, you know, in, in this example on the ship, and sort of, sort of creating like a moral compass or a, a decision-making tree by understanding those people better. Is that sort of the intent? I think there's twofold. One of them is exactly what you said. I've done a lot of work with one CEO of a company, and he keeps it in a plastic placard on his desk. And whenever he reaches a difficult decision, he'll pull that leadership philosophy back out, review his personal values and expectations, and then he tells me he finds it significantly easier to make difficult decisions after he views those values. The other thing in addition to that is we ask people to share it with their key peers and their direct reports so that all the people around them understand it as well. Yeah, and that's really important. And that gets into a component we talk a lot about on this show, which is transparency, just to understand, for people to know the information and to be exposed to that. Because if people don't know, then they have to make up the answers themselves. And we know when people are left to make up answers on on their own without good information, they make bad conclusions. I think Um, you're absolutely right, Chris. What do you think is sort of different or what is it that maybe it's different in the application or in the approach or maybe it's different in the, in the results, but what do you think is the difference in your leadership program really operates? Well, uh, I think there's two that are key differences. One is that personal leadership philosophy that we just talked about. Another one is a thing we do differently called Energize to Lead Profile. It's an online survey about 15 minutes long that it takes somebody to do uh, 60, 70 questions. I don't remember exactly how many where it doesn't measure strengths and opportunities like some others do. It measures energies. For example, mine will say I get very, very energized by helping people be stronger leaders and actually stronger and better individuals. As far as strengths and opportunities go, I can do Excel spreadsheets and study profit and loss documents all day long. If I do that, I go home tired. To me, that's de-energizing. Helping people is energizing. My Energize the Lead profile would show that. And we do that with each individual that goes through the course. When we do internal ones, then we we, uh, generate a a document for the leadership team that we're working with so that everybody in there can see everybody else's and how to interact with them most effectively. Feels like, you know, really leadership development and helping people has has been at your core here for a long time. What what, what got you started, you know, in, in making that a focus for your life and for your career? Well, one is I got a master's degree in what I would call today organization development from the University of Southern California, as I mentioned. At that time, 1980, they called it systems management, but I think today that means more IT stuff than what I actually do, which is more organizational development stuff. I spent my first 10 years in plants working as a process engineer, line manager, organization development manager. And then I spent six more years. I helped develop the leadership manuals for plant leadership teams, spent three years traveling around the world, training plant leadership teams. The last five years at Procter & Gamble, my title was actually HR for our global laundry business. So theoretically, I was the HR person for 16,000 people in 154 countries on a $17 billion business. I did not do a lot of traditional HR work, employee relations, pay and benefits, hire and fire, and that kind of stuff that a lot of HR people do. My work was almost entirely organization development. I spent most of it with the president and the regional and functional vice presidents coaching them on how they could increase their own organization capability as well as that in their organization. 
important things for people to be thinking as they're developing leader, as they're really looking to top grade or upgrade their people or even bring in the right people. People spend enough time thinking about their strategy and thinking about how to do this over the long haul, or is it, you know, an oh crap moment where they realize they've been ignoring <laughs> it for too long and they suddenly are in the hole? Chris, I think you implied the oh crap moment is often true. <laughs> it does seem to work out that way sometimes. I often right. get called in to do, well, not necessarily. I get called in to do executive coaching with executives that are not performing as well as the CEO or whoever the hiring manager might want. More often than not, I find out that the expectations of that person are not clear. So it's actually very fun to do and very easy to do. We make sure the expectations of the boss and the individual I'm coaching are clear. And typically that person, their, their performance takes off once they understand what the expectations are. Easy to say, geez, that person isn't doing the things I expect them to do. But when you turn around and say, well, do they really understand what I want them to do? And even though I maybe use my as an example, me as a CEO, even though I feel like I've communicated that and I've told them, I maybe haven't validated that that's what they heard or that's what they understand. Even if I've sent them a piece of paper or told them over coffee or whatever that may be. It's sort of an ongoing process, right? It's something almost as leaders we need to be constantly checking in on. When I had a bunch of people reporting to me, Chris, I would go over that quarterly with them just to make sure that we were clear. You know, interestingly, I've had a number of people that I've coached where I've talked to the CEO for the hiring manager first. And one of the questions I ask him is, your expectations of this individual crystal clear? The answer is always, oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, then can you send me a copy of that? And then it's like dead silence. Come on, man. You got, you know, you got to, you got to be able to write this stuff down and make sure people understand it. And then when I go to the coachee and ask him the same question, they go, no, I really don't know what that person expects of me. Between the three of us, we'll make sure we got that straight. And that's often the key. That can be tough, right? I mean, um, that point that people don't always have it written down. It's somewhere in somebody's head or, you know, it's conceptually expected through the culture or something. And sometimes just writing it down, you realize if you're a leader, you realize that maybe you've forgotten to communicate some of that stuff. And then you hand it over to that person. It can be like uh, getting a treasure map. Like, oh, these are the important things. Now I got it. But yet it, exactly it seems right. like it's a, a mystery for a lot of people. Oh, I think you're exactly right. It's fun to do. Sometimes I got to delve into the business myself to find out more about it. And I'll actually draft the expectations myself. If nobody else will do it, mm -hmm. I will. So when you go in to help people in a typical engagement where you're going to help a company with some leadership development, obviously you've talked about a few things that you do. What are some of the other important things that need to be done in that type of a scenario? We occasionally do open sessions where we have people from around, literally around the world, come into our classes. My preference is to do it with a natural leadership team within a particular company. Our typical engagement, not always, but typical is a three-day class with three months of follow-up coaching. We ask for six to 15 people. Six is kind of the minimum, so we get sufficient diversity of thought in the room to keep it, keep it energized. And 15 is the maximum because we, we spend a lot of time participating in the class, and I want to hear a whole lot about what people got to say and their own experiences and stuff so we can build on that so it's very participative. What does that end result look like when you or anybody else has gone in and, and thought about the leadership development? Is there sort of an ideal sort of things are happening in an organization if, you know, hit a really good level are, are doing things correctly? Two quick stories, Chris, that I like to tell. One is we've been dealing for about five years with a medium-sized company. They've seen tremendous profit growth over that same period of time. They give us credit for 20% annual profit growth 
based on us doing the workshop and follow-up coaching with the leaders in their organization. That's pretty energizing. 20% profit annual profit growth. Is that I'm feeling pretty good about that. Another quick story is I was at in New Orleans about a year ago at a conference, and this lady came up to us and started talking to me about our course. She had taken it 10 years ago and still using it. In fact, she's had three bosses. She insists that they use it, that they write a personal leadership philosophy, and that they go through their energized to lead profile so that she and the other people around that boss can better understand what they're talking about. So profit increase is probably the best way to look at it. Sustainability is another thing that's real important to me. And who wouldn't want more profit? And who wouldn't want to have more clarity? What gets in people's way? Why do they stop? Why do they not get there? What, what sort of the roadblocks for them to take on seem like a perfect endeavor? Uh, you know what, Chris? I hear two things when I reach out to people to talk to them about it. One is no budget, which is a constant battle, no training budget. And my response to that is typically, hey, you own that budget. You can shift dollars around if you choose. So I think that the bottom line is that most of these people I talk to, they don't think they need it. They think they're a pretty good leader. For example, we quote in a course survey done a number of years ago, the company reached out to a bunch of CEOs and senior managers and said, how good a communicator are you? And 87% of them said they thought they were very good. Then the same company went out and surveyed their direct reports. 17% of those direct reports said their boss was a good communicator. I guess the bottom line, Chris, is why wouldn't people do that? It's because the hiring manager, the people that can you know, that, that own the budget or own the dollars just think they're already pretty good at it. Some of them are, right. but a lot of them aren't. Well, it's really been uh, for us, uh, you know, where we should be looking and, and thinking about as it comes to, to leadership development. Sound like a pretty bright guy. Um, is there a book that we should check out or think about reading uh, maybe on this topic or some topic that's interesting you right now? The one I'm reading right now, I'm almost finished, is called This is Marketing by a guy named Seth Godin. I don't know if you've ever read anything by him or heard him speak. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're familiar. This book talks about learning how to identify the smallest viable audience. And, and one of the mistakes I've been making in marketing my website and stuff is I've been going out to the world trying to get everybody engaged. Seth would suggest, no, that's the wrong thing. You need to get a very, very small group of focused people and build trust and get their permission to market with them and give them then the tools and stories they can use to achieve their own goals, which I think is important. So I'm going to get a whole lot more focused on my marketing techniques. He's been a real inspiration to a lot of people and certainly a pretty well-known speaker. So I didn't know he had written a book on that particular topic, so I'm interested in checking it out. How can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about Academy Leadership? What's the best way to do that? There's a couple ways, Chris. One is academyleadership.com slash Larkin, and they'll go to my landing page and can learn more about me. I'm obviously on LinkedIn and Facebook, Bob Larkin, and if they then focus on Pensacola, Florida, where I live, I'll pop. The other way, obviously, the most easy way is to give me a call at 850-776-7498. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hopefully, we can have you back at some point and give us an update on all the stuff that you're doing and maybe some more wisdom on leadership development. But okay, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man, and I look forward to talking to you again. Take care. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today's show. Hopefully, you've gained something that can help you in your own career. Next week, I'll have my friend Melissa Smith, the founder and CEO of the Association of Virtual Assistants, joining me on the show. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. The 
You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.